This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Have you ever been lost? I mean, really lost. I've gotten lost a lot in my travels. I've been to 128 of this world's 198 countries. I invested almost 10 years of my life in East Africa, and I've gotten so lost in the savannah bush, in the plains of the Maasai Mara in Kenya, inside the Ngorogoro crater in Tanzania, and on the waters of Lake Victoria in Uganda, or at least I think we were in Uganda. It could have been Burundi. I got lost once in the mountains of Colorado while on horseback and even lost my horse for several hours. It's a very stressful experience. I was wondering if I was going to be on the evening news in about three days' time that said, man lost in the mountains, horse returns riderless, more at 11. So yeah, I've been lost. I feel like some of the people we serve in the food banks across our state get lost too. They get lost from their government from the education, from opportunities, and sadly, they are lost from hope. The Food Bank Council of Michigan and our network of seven food banks are determined no one who is lost from food is going to stay lost any longer. We are creating a map, a map that shows us where people who are trying to create food security in their own lives are living, and we want to come and find them. In fact, we will come and find them and bring with us healthy, nutritious food, the food choices that they want and need. But we will bring with us something far more important than just food. Because attached to every item of food our network procures and distributes is hope. Not just hope, but clarity, encouragement, inspiration, and determination are all a part of our food programs. Our food comes packaged with opportunity and relief from the toxic stress of constantly fighting off hunger for themselves and for the ones they love. It might just look like food to most folks, but for those of us who know, we know food comes with a compass. It will point you in the right direction. It will help you find your way, and you will no longer be wandering in the wilderness of food insecurity. Our food comes with a map, a map to a place where food security exists and the quality of life is better. In every instance that I've been lost, I've been alone. Whether it was in the savannah of East Africa, the waters of Lake Victoria, or the mountains of Colorado, I was always by myself. However, it occurs to me that you can be lost in a crowd and with a crowd, You are just as lost as if you were adrift in a boat on the waters of Lake Victoria. In this case, there is no comfort in numbers. Today, Jerry and I want to talk with you about the drastic increase in numbers of those roaming the food insecure landscape. The United States Department of Agriculture's household report for 2022 regarding food insecurity in America reports a dramatic increase in the numbers of people across America who are experiencing food insecurity during the past year. The report is staggering, humbling, infuriating, and motivating. 
all at the same time. Don't go far. Jerry joins me next on this edition of Food First Michigan. back, everyone. Jerry Brisson joins me here in our WJR studio here in the Fisher Building, downtown Detroit. Jerry, great to see you. I'm excited for this show. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And you know I'm excited. You know I had three rants on the just preparing for the show. So <laughs> hang on. We don't know where exactly this is going. But rants are good, <laughs> make good radio. So Um, So the United States Department of Agriculture has published a report regarding food insecurity in America. And uh, I said in the monologue that uh, it's it's many things, uh, somewhat uh, disappointing, infuriating, but also motivating. And we'll we're going to end up at the motivating thing eventually. But first, (laughs) we're going to have to go through the other stages of grief. Um, in order to get there. So let me just quote this to get you started on uh, one of your rants here. The number of people living in food insecure households, and I'm quoting from the report, in the United States in 2022 increased to 44 million, including 13 million children, according to this report um, by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, It's disappointing, Jerry, that again, fundamentally, in the in the country of plenty, that this many people are are struggling to have the right access to food for their families. Yeah, and one of the things we've talked about several times is part of the problem with the system is that need and resources aren't connected. Right. That that there there are resources for people to get help and there are ways for people to have access, but their need and those resources aren't exactly connected. So if they were connected, when you saw need go up, you'd see help go up. And then when you saw need go down, you'd see help go down. Right. If they were connected, they would be moving in lockstep with each other when, in fact, that's not true. And it has never been true. It's so let's never just, been the case. Right. Right. So so here we have the And, and by the way, I want to say that. That typically, when this disconnect is the strongest, the biggest, the biggest gap is after a crisis. That that is when it always happens. So you have a crisis, help pours in, and then the crisis is over, and then help pours out. But wait a minute, the crisis isn't over for everybody, and it's not over for everybody at the same pace. So if mm-hmm. you have a bank account with some money in it, and you have a crisis, you can lean on your bank account to help you through that crisis, and then the crisis is over and you can get pretty quickly back on your feet. When you don't have money in a bank account, when you don't have those kind of resources to fall back on, or maybe it's family members who have resources that can help you, uh, when you don't have that, it takes longer to recover. You have made decisions that have set you back during the crisis and you're set back farther than someone who has more resources. It's all logical. It's not rocket science, but it is the truth. So then the crisis is over. The help gets pulled away, which absolutely logical. The problem is it's not connected to the need. It's yeah. connected to just this idea that, oh, there's a crisis. We're going to help. The crisis is over. We're not going to help without without really connecting it to who 
needs help and how it helps them to continue to get some help while they're still recovering from the crisis. Yeah. So even in our efforts to lobby in for resources for the food bank network, I'm talking about nationally with Feeding America and here in Mm -hmm. Michigan, particularly with the food bank council and our network, we're kind of taking a stab in the dark, you know, and say, okay, this number would really help. But it doesn't, we don't have any way to know if that number we're asking for would actually meet the need. And probably the closest we got to meeting the need, at least in my decade of work in, in, in here in America with food insecurity, was during the pandemic when so many resources were available to families for sure and and there's a there's a really important point in there that that disappears in in the data and that is the capacity that was built in food banking in between the great recession and the pandemic is what enabled us to meet that need when the pandemic hit, right? Yeah. So you have all these years of investment in trucks, in in warehousing and distribution, in expertise, in logistics. You have a huge investment that's happening during this period between the Great Recession and the pandemic. And as a result, we could respond in a big way during the pandemic, better than we've ever been able to respond. And the, and the numbers bear that out because we increased our food distribution by 47%, kind of, and some people like to say we did that on the fly, but you and I both know that's not entirely true or accurate, I should say, because during the recession, we were building capacity then as well in regard to infrastructure. And we have built more capacity. And again, we don't build capacity for the sake of, you know, putting it on our resume, right? We build capacity because we know there's people we're reaching well who have good access and people we're not reaching very well. And this ties right back into these numbers that you just quoted. There's more people, significantly more people, who are who were, I should say were, because we're looking backwards in all these kind of surveys, right? This is 2022. So in 2022, there were more people food and skier, significantly more than in 2021, right? So we're looking at those two years and saying, wow, this is a trend line moving up fast. And when we look at our actual data from food banks during those years, we will see an even greater increase than what these numbers report for those places that can see whoever comes to them. So if, you, if you're if you limited by the number of appointments you can do in a day, you're never going to see a greater demand <laughs> because, right. because that's all the appointments you have. But for, for a, a significant percentage of the dis- food distributions that we do and that food banks do across the state, they're at mobile locations or places where people can just show up and if they need help, they're going to get helped. So at those places, you really do have a pretty good trend line. And for us... During this period that the U- that the USDA is reporting on, we saw a 30% increase in the number of people coming for help. That's pretty significant. That's pretty significant, 30% increase. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So one of the things, Jerry, that I know is very important to you and to all of us who are doing this work, but this is a particular difficult topic for you. When you, you talk about these big numbers, 44 million, up to 44 million people in the United States that are, it's a dramatic increase over previous numbers. 
in that group is 13 million children. And that means one in five. One in five kids in America are living a food insecure life. So I'm going to tell you why I think that number is underreported. Do you mind? No. Do you mind, it. doctor? Yeah, I don't mind at all. <clears throat> you can cut me off right now. So, so three different people ask you the same question. One is one of your parents. They say, Dr. Phil, how you doing? And you've got to answer you're going to tell your parents. Then one of them is your pastor. Says, Dr. Phil, how you doing? And you're going to have an answer for your pastor. <clears throat> and then one of them is your kid's teacher. Hey, how you doing? You're going to have an answer for your kid's teacher, right? And in fact, your answer is going to be slightly different depending on who's asking you the question, right? Mm. Now I'm the government asking you the question, and I'm saying, how you doing? This is how this survey works. Right. It is a survey of people saying, how you doing? Are you going to tell the government, I can't feed my children? Probably not. I mean, some people will, and some people won't. Right. right? You asked me, though. I'm telling you, I'm <laughs> probably not. And, and a lot of people won't, right? It's one of the facts of food insecurity is it's largely invisible because people aren't going to answer that question. And what would I do? I mean, my, that's a really deeply personal thing to say, you know, sometimes I didn't have enough food to feed my kids. So I have always been... Which is like an indictment on yourself and... And everything that comes with that whole package of negative energy and emotions, including shame and guilt and, you know, uh, oh, and what do you debilitating. Believe, what do you believe the government does with information? Do you believe it has your best interest in mind? Maybe you do. And maybe it does. And I'm not trying to say what it is or it isn't. I'm just saying people have their own thoughts about it. And those thoughts dictate the answer to these questions. I think the least likely question to be answered honestly is, do your children ever run out of food? Yeah. I don't think anyone, I think, well, no, I, I, I got to be careful. This is where the ranting has to stop and the logic has to enter. There are people who will honestly answer that question because they're motivated by just honesty in that well, way. Well, I would tell you one of the reasons you would an answer that honestly is because you're so desperate. Right, right. That's true. I, whatever it takes, I'm going to get make sure my kid gets access to food. Don't worry about me. I'm worrying about them. Yeah. And so you get to that place where you might be so desperate that you would answer if anybody asked you, yes, I need help. My kids are hungry. And you, your shame and your guilt and your, your lack of being able to take care of this on your own, all that goes away for a moment because you're so desperate. For the sake of your children. And I think when you're when you're trying to get benefits like uh, food stamps or SNAP, it's the same thing, just different name. Uh, in Michigan, it's the bridge card. Um, but if, when you're trying to get assistance, I think you're, you're, what you just said has the most uh, uh, impact because you know that the answers to the questions are going to get you more or less of what you need for your household. And so I do think in those situations, people are way more likely to say, this is my real situation. But in any case, we're speculating about how people are. The main point I wanted to make here is I think that we as a, as a country, in the way that we go about trying to get this information, 
are probably undercounting the number of people who are actually food insecure. And we should probably say again, food insecurity doesn't mean you didn't get enough food. It means you're worried about it. And probably at some point in time, you didn't get enough food. Yeah. Right. And so it's it's um, it's, it's definitely about access. That's exactly right. So, Jerry, let's take a break. Great segment. Thanks very much for your mini rant there. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Don't go far. We'll be right back. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, mini rant uh, extraordinaire, um, subject matter expert, I should say. Now, Jerry, you bring a very uh, unique perspective to this conversation, and I, I deeply appreciate it. And when I had the thought, for this show uh, years ago, I, I, I knew the perfect partner that I needed because of your, your insight, your expertise, and you've given your life to this work, literally. Well, I was getting ready for you to say I'm still looking for that per- perfect partner, so that was a lot better than I thought. I, I appreciate yeah. well, it. Give me, we'll you. see how this segment goes. <laughs> Um, so, so I said, according to the data here from the report from USDA, that means that one in, what did I say? One in, one in five children. But what you made the point is it's more, it's more than likely more than that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that's, uh, that's the thing here's what hurts, right? Here's what's hurt. We're both given our one handful of life for this. Certainly all the, the, the food bank uh, CEOs, our board of directors, all the team members at the food bank council, all the team members in every food bank, which is hundreds of people across the state, all the volunteers that come to the food banks, all the almost 3,000 pantries across the state that are our partners. Man, it just kind of like feels like a you got gut punched here because this number has gone up significantly and what you're saying at least in one of these categories that's probably underreported yeah and and so this is where we we it's really incumbent on us to understand the changes we've made and the difference we've made and how that doesn't necessarily get reflected in the overall state of food insecurity. Um, there's a lot of things that that happen in the economy and in health and in people's lives that we have no control over, but have an absolute impact on whether or not people are food insecure. Inflation is a really good example. When food prices go up 25 percent, it makes people food insecure and we can't control that. Right. So so. What we can measure, though, and what we can take heart in, even though these numbers sometimes get worse, is our response to food insecurity when it gets better or worse is better than it's ever been. Our ability to respond, the systems that are in place to protect the people we serve are better. We're able to get more food out quicker, fresher, more food that people want and need. People have significantly more access than they've ever had in history. 
So that's what we have to keep our eye on. When we say this problem can be solved, we're not saying we can solve all of the issues that create food insecurity. What we can say is we've built a system that's there for people when these other things happen. And that's where we have to get our victories, right? So we are going to see these numbers get worse and better, but we take heart in the fact that we are doing better to meet the need, whatever it is. Well, I, I, I appreciate that perspective, but I would say if people would just subscribe to this show, I'm talking about policymakers from the, from the top of the food chain all the way through, they would get some pretty good ideas about how these resources need to be in alignment. These policies need to support, for example, work rather than to have a policy that de-incentivizes work, then we might really be able to get towards a solution. But for we're going to do our part, is what I hear you saying, to be able to help people manage these crises in their life. And, and we're going to solve it for them to the extent that we have the ability and control. And just to be clear, I am sitting by my phone waiting for the policymakers to call. Yes. So- <laughs> that number, by the way, is... So I think, uh, Dr. Phil, one of the things that you've said on the show several times is um, in times like this, food banks end up being the safety net for the government, right? That the government programs that we're helping people are shrinking. They're not directly connected to the need. And so those people come to food banks. So the help from the government and the help from food banks are definitely connected to each other. And there is an impact that doesn't show up in government statistics about people getting help because those people, when they lose the government support, it looks good on the government budget, but it looks really bad on our budgets, right? So I think that we will always do the best we can. Um... And it's not, it's not, it would be better, let me put it this way, it would be better if we were planning together with all of the people who are involved in in deciding what we should do in circumstances about these programs. And that's a lot to say. I don't want to say we don't do that. We do we do, do that, but it, it needs to be more and it needs to be better. And we talk about more and better all the time. But, but really, there is a big hurt happening out in our community right now. And as you said, particularly with children, because the, the implementation of these policies don't align with the need in the community and it leaves a lot of people behind. Well, here's we've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. Here's a couple of things I want to throw out and get your reaction to. Here's here's a here's another population. Food insecurity among single mothers uh, saw an increase of thirty seven percent. That's 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 significant. Uh, it's you know, and these these are these are these are this is a tough. This is just tough. The other thing I want to get you to think about is. So you talked about SNAP or food stamps. So the SNAP is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And the key word here is supplemental. It's not designed to take care of all the food needs in every household that is food insecure in, in America. It's supplemental, right? So with that, Jerry, food insecurity among households receiving the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, or Bridge Card, here in Michigan, 
that among the households receiving SNAP benefits also increased with nearly 47% reporting they experienced food insecurity. That, you know, at some point here, we're going to have to just make this statement that this is, this report is an indictment on the economy. I mean, I, I tell you, the folks that we talk to on the helpline, they'll tell you exactly how much cheese and butter and eggs and milk cost. They know it to the penny. And inflation is killing them. And I know some people will say, oh, but inflation has come down. Well, not on the things that matter to families, not on groceries, not on gas. I mean, it's, it is it, this, the loss of the uh, uh, programs during the pandemic combined with the out-of-sight inflation is crippling these families. Yeah, and keeping in mind all these things that affect us all affect low-income people in a more uh, concerning way, right? Because there's just less to work with overall. You don't have as many options to pick from. Well, you're managing more with less. Yeah. Most of us are blessed to be managing more with more. Right. We have more resources at our disposal, but these folks are managing the critical... Uh, life issues of food and housing and 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 water and clothing with less not more yeah and so i and i don't know how much do we got time in the segment are we about no let's take a break all right that was my, that was my turn to rant that there was, we go yeah. <laughs> all right so jerry Brisson, dr phil knight we'll be back with our rants in just a moment you come back and be with us too Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. It's like the the, the, the show of mini rants here. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that, that I would like to see more of, I, I, I read the, the announcement that came out from Feeding America, and I appreciate that Feeding America works hard to, to tell the story of what's happening with the people we serve. What I would like to see more of in our work is to actually talk about what difference it makes, right? Not just that the numbers are up, but because the numbers are up, what what happens in our community, right? So when you see 13 million or more children who are food insecure, what happens? That's 13 million children who are going to struggle more than average to learn what they need to learn in grade school, in middle school, and in high school, and maybe even in pre- uh, K, right? The more food yep. insecurity you have among children, the m- more difficult it is to make sure all children have the right opportunities for their futures, right? That's important, right? So when we see these numbers going up, the reaction shouldn't be, the number went up. The reaction should be, oh my gosh, those are kids that aren't going to be able to learn as well. I also want to talk about health care. Health care is one of the big reasons that people need help. They, they're trying to manage a new expense in their life. Often it's related to a chronic disease like diabetes or heart disease. So people trying to do the right things have prescriptions that say take with food, and yet they don't have any food. So what happens to health care when 44 million people are food insecure? 
What happens to the cost of health care when those people have less access to the nutrition they need? Right. The, the, the fact of the matter is we don't solve food insecurity so the number of food insecure people go down. We solve food insecurity because it matters in people's lives. It makes a difference. And when we don't solve it, it costs more for everybody. It makes the whole community suffer. It's not about those people. It's about us. All of us, right? Yep. And so I think that's what I'd like to see more of when we talk about this is what difference does it make in people's lives, whether they're food insecure or food secure? And I gave two examples with kids in healthcare. There are literally hundreds of examples of the difference it makes to be food secure rather than food insecure. And that's why we give our life to this work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we're not going to stop. And we'll talk a little bit about that, more of that in the next segment. Um, so, there, you know, we we did kind of cover this topic earlier in the show where food insecurity doesn't really happen in a vacuum. I mean, it's a lot of other mitigating factors. Some people would say that food insecurity is, is essentially an economic security question. Now, you know, I'm not I'm I'm always a guy that can oversimplify a a, a problem, <laughs> but you know that that I think there is some truth in that. Um, and the other side of it that that we've talked about on the show for a number of years is 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 people that are turning to the charitable food network because there's not enough benefit, or they're they're not eligible for the benefits any longer, or finding themselves. Uh, above the benefit level that the government may have, but not anywhere near what they need to be self-sufficient. And so that's the folks that a grew a large group of these people that in America are are working. They're they're doing things right, yet there is a constant struggle with more month than money, and they are very dependent on the charitable food network. Yeah, boy, you know, probably the most complicated thing we have to deal with in the network is how many different people there are, how many different stories there are, and how to take into account how much help we should be giving based on those stories and those situations. And the easy thing for all of us to do is reflect on our own experience. And we say, well, my experience is people are like this. But the fact is, you're just one story, too. Right. It's that's your story. That's your experience. It's valid, but it's not the whole story. Right. And so our role in this people who are trying to solve this problem's role is to get those stories out to understand them better. Yes, you still group people into these kind of people need this much help and these kind of people need this much help. But what you can't do is think, you know, everything because your experience dictates it. Right. That's just not true. It's not true for me either. I spent my life at this and I'm still learning how to tell all of the stories that need to be told when you're looking at an issue as broad and complex as food security. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. And I wish I could, but because I, <laughs> I think my experiential wisdom is, you know, supreme to anyone else's, <laughs> but it's not, it is just one perspective, uh, in, in a, in a multi-layered, uh, very difficult problem to solve but remains solvable. I, I fundamentally believe it. And I want to just say one more thing on that. I believe it's solvable not just because of all the smart things we can do to solve it. 
It's because I know the people who are coming for help, and they're capable. You know, I believe in the people we serve. I really do. And, and there is a broad spectrum of people that we serve, and I don't know them all. But I will tell you my general experience is the people we serve are worth investing in. And that's the biggest reason I think this can be solved. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. We're going to take uh, cut this segment a little short and save us a little room on the next one. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we're enjoying being with you. I hope you're being enlightened by being with us. Might be too much of a hope, but we hope so anyway. Come back. We're going to finish this show in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here for, uh, I'm going to say, a a little wonky, but a unique show because this report, you know, we kind of take this personally. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) There's no way around it. You know, it's just like we've been on, we, we started this show some seven years ago or so. We said we wanted to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. And I think we've done that and we continue to do that. And we've saved our producer, Mark, probably several years in purgatory, just having to listen to us for seven years. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. He probably didn't, wouldn't have had to go anyway. But... Here's, a, here's a thing, though, Jerry. The, the more we see this, the more information we have. Like I, I, this, this, this report hurts me that the number of families experiencing food insecurity in America went up dramatically but i learned from it too i learned from it and 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 not all of life's lessons are easy to learn some of them are difficult and this is one of those uh to think about how this report breaks down by ethnicity black individuals saw a 15 percent increase in food insecurity latino families saw a 29 percent increase in food insecurity White individuals saw a 43% increase in food insecurity. And these are people. Right. And I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too Pollyanna here, but these are families. And that is really what hurts. Yep. We, again, the promise of solving the problem is that we can see where the problem is. <laughs> I mean, right, you can't solve a problem that you can't see. Right. So the, these data points are really important. It helps draw out here's where the problem is. Right. And and the and where we have to be looking when we talk about solutions. We got to see those numbers go down and you want to see that over time. Um, or another way, which I talked about earlier, is to see your responsiveness, your capacity to, to respond and to serve going up because these things are going to happen. Life happens. It's true for all of us. When life happens, our, our ability to be there and walk with people on their journey is the key thing. And I think there are signs of hope in our network and in our, and in our capacity to do better. Well, I, I think a theme for this show, certainly over the last year or so, has been, it's easier to say it like this, uh, more and better. But really what we mean is better than more. Yeah. And, other, yeah. and what we mean by more is let's right-size the resources to fit the need. Exactly. You know, but we have to do better, I think, you think, with what we have to prove that that 
you know, we're we're meeting the the need at this level with the resources that we have, and they are well managed. Yes, responsibility is critical. We have to be responsible for what we have now if we ever hope for more. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. So I think that, that that's really an important point. And we have changed the conversation. And we're continuing to change the conversation. And 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 something you said earlier, you know, is that uh, one of the hard things about this work and getting the right data is that hunger often makes people invisible. Right. So therefore, it's hard to measure. And we keep getting better. Well, Jerry, thanks for your rants and thoughts today. <laughs> Time for a little food for thought. So how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Although I don't really know anybody who's really eaten an elephant. But anyway, if you were to, you would eat it one bite at a time. But what do you have to do first? Well, you have to start. And what do you do second? You never stop. We look no further than my favorite Winston Churchill, who once was introduced to speak to a crowd and was charged with inspiring them for the difficult days and tasks that lay ahead. So he stood and he uttered the following words. Never, 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 never give up. Never. And that concluded his speech. And although this report that Jerry and I shared with you today feels like a kick in the stomach for those of us doing this work, of trying to align all the factors that would allow us to create a food secure state and nation, we don't know how to quit. And we won't start now. We will not give up. We will continue to do our best to put and keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.